this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Oh, sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes Know, this is Profile. In-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Hello Profilers, and live from Hollywood, uh, Encino, it is episode 18 of Profiles, our last Profiles of 2014. That's why we're wearing Christmas sweaters. We are wearing our Christmas sweaters. Seasons greetings to profilers from around the world. We are going out this year, going out the year with a very, very special show. Big Bang. Big Bang. Paul Thomas Anderson. And what is it about this extraordinary filmmaker that makes him your jam? He is my jam. Yeah. I, I love Paul Thomas Anderson because, I mean, he's been called the West Coast Scorsese. Yep. And you can see that in terms of the camera movements that he chooses and, and sometimes the subject matter. He's also been compared to Robert Altman because of the great ensemble cast in some of his movies. But he has a style that is definitely all his own. And this kind of sounds a little pretentious, but he is an auteur. He is an auteur who, with his seventh film, Inherent Vice, he has now directed seven movies. He wrote the screenplays for all the movies he directed. Scorsese is a major influence, obviously Robert Altman. Yeah. And there are other filmmakers as well. He works with a lot of the same actors. Uh, it's John C. Riley, Philip Baker Hall, mm. Julianne Moore, Louise Guzman, William H. Macy. And one thing that we both discovered doing our research for this very special episode is that our tribute to Paul Thomas Anderson is also serving as a tribute to the late, great Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Hoffman. And it's incredible when you rewatch all PTA's movies that Philip Seymour Hoffman appeared in, how different he is in, in each, each one. film. I yeah. mean, you compare his role in Magnolia to his role in The Master, and they're Shh. completely different. Completely different. Another thing I love about Paul Thomas Anderson is his cinematography. Oh, it is yeah. like porn for people who love cinematography. 
cinematography. (laughs) Every shot is carefully constructed and his movies are really well thought out, very considered, challenging to the audience. They're not fun movies, escapist movies, but I like that. That is my jam. And we had such a hard time trying to put our five favourites in some kind of order. So I am monitoring uh, YouTube right now to uh, see people's comments and I'm sure we'll get a lot of like, what? You put that at number five? You put that at number three? But that's good. Good. We like debate. We like debate. And I'll try and read out some of these right now. It's about Christmas sweaters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and someone, oh, Greeno86 says, Manson doesn't seem to be on Red Bull, saying that maybe it just hasn't kicked in yet. He has. I have had a Red Bull. Watch out. Look out. You know we're in trouble. My hand's going to be sore. Cause Duck so much for up. cover. Wow. Yes. What? One more. <laughs> but, really <laughs> but the other thing about Paul Thomas Anderson <laughs> is that, you know, with these seven films, while the influence of these other directors are there, other filmmakers, mm. making him an auteur. They're also, they are uniquely his own. And they're also different from each other. No two movies are alike. But you can tell that it's his movies. The other thing is doing research for profiles. And, you know, we love doing research for profiles because we get to rewatch these movies again. It's a tough job. Like, that's work? What? It's a really hard job. That's what we do, Alicia I know. It's the best. But tell me I'm wrong here, or tell me if I'm wrong, when I say that rewatching these movies, I keep liking them more and more... Each time I see them. I agree. That was especially the case with There Will Be Blood, and that was especially the case of revisionist look back on The Master. Mm. Completely changed my opinion okay, of that film. I can't wait to hear yes. what you have to say about that one. Yep. But right now, right now, let's go to a segment that is very fitting for this time of year. <laughs> very fitting. It's a wonderful life. And an angel is going to get their wings. <laughs> Roll it. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson was born on June 26, 1970 in Studio City, California. He is the third youngest of nine children, and his father, Ernie, made his name as the voice of ABC TV and as a late-night horror movie host known as Goulardi. Where most young aspiring filmmakers cut their teeth making movies with their Super 8 cameras, Anderson started making movies with a Betamax camera that his father bought for him when he was 12 years old. Using the money he earned cleaning cages at a pet store while he was a senior at Montclair Prep High School, Anderson filmed his first real production, a 30-minute mockumentary. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. He called the Dirk Diggler story, which of course served as the inspiration for his breakthrough feature, 1997's Boogie Nights. That was followed by the film short Cigarettes and Coffee, which cost $20,000 to make and was screened at the 1993 Sundance Film Festival. Anderson made his featured directorial debut with the 1996 ensemble Hard Eight, which was screened at that year's Cannes Film Festival. And with the six films that followed, including his latest Inherent Vice, Anderson established himself as one of the most distinctive and revered filmmaking voices of his generation. Paul Thomas Anderson has been nominated for five Academy Awards, three for writing, 
one for directing, and one for best picture. Yeah. Wow. You know, he is married to Maya Rudolph. I know. And they have three kids. That's so cool. That is very, very and cool. And she appears in Inherent Vice, which is his new movie. I want to give a quick shout out to Rachel Cushing, who says she's homesick from work today, so Aww. she gets to watch us. So thank you so much. We always appreciate your comments, Rachel. And feel better, Rachel, and keep writing your reviews. You are an amazing film critic. <laughs> lover of film just like we are. Lover of these kinds of movies. So let's talk about your first blood for PTA. First blood. I think we probably have the same first blood, and that is Boogie Nights. Of course. (laughs) I didn't see it in cinema because I was too young at the time, but I watched it on VHS. Luckily, I knew the local video shop guy because I was in there every single week. So he was like, okay, I know you're not old enough for this movie, (laughs) but here you go. And I loved it. I first actually heard about it through the soundtrack. All my friends had the soundtrack. And listening to the soundtrack, I thought it would be a lot lighter than it is, but it is a lot of fun to watch. It's just at the end, it takes a turn. Mark Wahlberg, though, this was the movie that made me say, oh, he can act. He's right. not, not just Marky Mark, Mark and, and the Marcus, Funky Bunch. He's Calvin. So <laughs> he actually has acting chops. He was perfect in this role. He was perfect in this role. And this is a perfect movie. Is your and first blood, too? It is my first blood, too. Yeah. I mean, of course it was. It came out in uh, 1997 on October 10th. <laughs> and I just remember, of course, it is a very hot, a very sexy and stylish movie. Yeah. But it is a loving tribute, not just to Martin Scorsese, but to Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you take those two films, they run about the same length, about two and a half hours. They mirror each other in style and structure so, so much. The rise, the fall, the redemption. The rise, the fall, the redemption, and the midpoint, which actually happens more than two-thirds of the way through mm. the movie, changes everything. Yep. But it was the style of that movie. And also, hey, look, the this tracking was shots. the tracking shots, like the beginning of the film. Beginning film. I mean, that's like that the tracking shot, shot from uh, Goodfellas. It is. It's like Copa shot. But this is an incredible film. We're going to talk a lot about this one. A lot about this one, but, but right now, right let's now. go fast five, number five, which is... I drink your milkshake. <laughs> I drink it up. I drink it up. There will be blood. And I, I saw a comment before saying, if there will be blood is not number one on your list, there will be blood. Oh, so, boy. Apologies. Uh, a lot of people saying that this was actually their first blood. The Doctor 2012 says my first blood is There Will Be Blood. And Cole Boone said my first blood is There Will Be Blood. What a great one to start off with. That's a good one to start off with. Well, hey, it is number five on our list. But but in our five through one, there's not a wide margin between each one. <laughs> no. Any one of these movies could have been number one for us. Exactly. But this one came out on December 26, 2007, nominated for eight so Academy Awards. Christmas movie, then? Yeah, nothing says Christmas. <laughs> more than a milkshake (laughs) but it's nominated for eight oscars three of them for pta for screenplay for director and for best picture because he also produced it uh it won two academy awards cinematography for robert elswit so deserved so beautiful and ddl daniel day lewis as daniel plainview amazing amazing film cost 25 million to make it made 76 million dollars worldwide well i noticed when i was re-watching this film a couple of things Mm -hmm. firstly how brutal it is Oh my gosh, it really hit me again. The third, fourth, I think I've seen this four or five times now. Every time I'm just floored by the brutality and how dark it is, how apocalyptic it is. And then also how there is no dialogue for... For really the first 15 minutes, there is, he says no, and then he says there she is at about the four minute, five minute mark, but there's no chunk of dialogue until later on. And 
PTA said he wanted to uh, make a whole film without dialogue, which I think he could do. And he said, I got the closest to that with the opening of There Will Be Blood. But between the fact that there's hardly any dialogue, between the fact that there are a lot of scenes where just there is no dialogue and this, there are long tracking shots. And of course, the score by Johnny uh, Greenwood. That's what really struck me as well, the how score. haunting it is. It's really it has a sense of dread about it. That is why, even though... PTA's influences are clearly Scorsese and Altman. I felt like There Will Be Blood was PTA channeling Stanley Kubrick. Okay. Okay. Explain. Okay. Well, just because of the long tracking shots, yep. because there's no dialogue. Remember in 2001 Quite. A Space Odyssey, there was no dialogue for the first 21 minutes of that movie. Yeah, that's true. And the score was very reminiscent of 2001 oh, yeah, like A Space Odyssey. The- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but listen, this is a great American film. I mean, this is very comparable. You and I discussed this earlier. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. All about capitalism. All about greed and corruption. Yeah. But there's Envy. also a faith element to this film. Yeah, the tagline is when ambition meets faith, which is a perfect tagline for it. The themes are definitely religion as well as capitalism. There's so much to meditate on with this movie. It's so challenging to watch. It's not that fun, but it's really well made. I love Paul Dano. It gets under your skin and it really stays there. And I've also heard comparisons between Daniel Day-Lewis's character, Daniel Plainview, and Dracula. Oh, no and he, way. he does literally suck, suck your blood. the blood of the earth. <laughs> yeah, well, that's an excellent point. The other thing about Daniel Day-Lewis's character, his dialect, the way he did his vocal inflection, he was clearly inspired and, and knowingly took from writer-director, actor John Huston. Yeah. John Huston's 1948 classic, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, was a movie that Paul Thomas Anderson watched almost every night for a while before he started filming mm. There Will Be Blood. So John Huston had a big impact on these filmmakers well my question for you is when you first watched the movie did you get confused whether Paul Dano was playing twins or the same I I got quite confused at first I still don't know for sure that they are twins well the interesting thing behind that is I was doing more research on it and apparently so Daniel Day-Lewis had a year to prepare for this role which is what he insists for every single role Paul Dano four days Whoa. Because he was cast as Paul, mm-hmm. but Eli was going to be played by someone else. That person dropped out, so they said, okay, can you do both characters? So he had four days to prepare that role, and he's so good. Those sermons, get out! Get and out! he held his own. Boy, did Paul Dano really hold his own against Daniel Day-Lewis. That hard ain't easy. Do. That ain't easy. No way. Really, really hard to do. Um, the Doctor 2012 says, In my opinion, I think There Will Be Blood is Daniel Day-Lewis's best performance as Daniel Plainview. And a lot of people saying, yes, I totally agree. And Liam Logrand, who's watching from Australia, where I think it's about 7 a.m. in the morning. Hey there, Liam. He says he loves John Houston, so that's nice. Oh, that's very cool. Well, uh, online. should come soon. Uh, and we should we should uh, turn over to our, our Profiles fan page, Profiles with Malona Mance, where Vuguru Ramanathan had this to say about There Will Be Blood. Is what my opinion, Daniel Day-Lewis' best performance, and by God, it has so many iconic scenes, especially the milkshake scene. (laughs) How many times do I reuse that quote in real life? The number (laughs) is so high, I'm embarrassed to say it. The film also had a fantastic score and the performances from Dylan Frazier, as well as Paul Dano as the Sunday Twins. Every twist and turn was exciting, and Daniel Day-Lewis was the literal representation of evil. Oh, that is true. And the lovely possum on YouTube says, another fun fact, milkshake sales rose significantly 
significantly <laughs> after the release of the film. Hashtag I got a craving now. <laughs> well, Cathal Thomas Coleman says, There Will Be Blood is my favourite Paul Thomas Anderson film. Daniel Day-Lewis is phenomenal as always, and PTA brilliantly creates a realistic depiction of the American pioneer landscape. The ambition and greed of Daniel Plainview is riveting to watch. Robert L. Switz, <laughs> Oscar-winning cinematography, is breathtaking as well. I it think, really uh, is. Though there, I think The Master is probably his most beautiful-looking film, but There Greed. Will Be Blood follows closely after. Well, the scene in There Will Be Blood when the oil rig catches on fire. Oh, yeah. Knocked my socks off. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful scene. And because of scenes like that, in only seven films, including his latest movie, Inherent Vice, mm-hmm. which is in theaters now, just seven movies, so many great scenes to choose from in our right stuff. Hard to choose. What is your right stuff? I'm going with one that's quite tragic, <laughs> but I like the way it was put together and also what it meant for this film. It's from Boogie Nights. It's the long take with William H. Macy, when he he kills his wife and then he commits suicide on New Year's Eve. So you see him enter and it's quite intricate, the camera movement. He sees everybody. He goes to find his wife yeah. once again. She is the horrible character, but you don't see her at all. You see his reaction to her. And then he very calmly walks back to his car, grabs his gun, walks back through. You can hear the countdown to New Year's. And then it goes three, two, one, bang. Boom. He kills his wife. Then he comes out very calmly and then shoots himself. And then, boom, it goes to the 80s. It is It is a major transition between between the good life and the consequence mm. of, of the porn industry back in the late 70s and early 80s. What's your right My stuff? My right stuff, you just uh, talked about how The Master is one of the his most beautiful films, the way it's shot, and that is where my favorite scene comes from. This is my right stuff, the scene where Lancaster Dodd, played by the great Phil Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, the lot going on out there. Is, <laughs> <laughs> there are profilers out there. Come they on. want in. They want in on no, the live show. Can't come in. Can't come in. <laughs> but this is the scene where Lancaster Dodd, played by Hoffman, is is auditing or processing as that the film uses oh, uh, uh, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. And you see on Joaquin Phoenix's face. It's just the close-ups on both of them, how Ooh. it goes back and forth. The dynamic, the relationship between these two characters mm. really fuels the master uh, to the point where we're going to have a lot to say about it when we get to talking about it later. But it, it, this, this scene itself, it's complex and it is, it is engrossing and it is mesmerizing and two excellent excellent performances that complement each other yeah well yeah. we will be talking more about that in a sec but right now let's go to our last detail and i also love watching if everyone comments on youtube because everyone's like hi dan hi hi rachel hi hey, everybody so oh everyone, we're bringing all friends. the profiles together i love this so much it's really fun doing this live i think at one point we'll we'll take calls but we thought we'll start off with start this, off with just the see live if we can manage it all and then and eventually then... we'll do this in front of a live audience yeah right yeah That's what we want to do we'll yes. have a screening and then invite everyone to come and see it and yep. then do q and a's with cast Big plans. Big plans for profiles in 2015. Let's get back to the last detail. So did you know, I don't know if this is true, but I like the idea that this is true. Paul Thomas Anderson wrote most of Magnolia over two weeks while he was at William H. Macy's Vermont cabin, Mm -hmm. but he didn't go outside pretty much the whole time he was there because he saw a snake and he was scared. Well, where were you? To, you? You beat up snakes in Australia. Just get a shovel, mate. Get a shovel, mate. Crack it over the head. She'll be right. You can handle it. Totes. Well, did you know that in The Master, the scene in the jail where Joaquin Phoenix breaks the toilet was totally improvised 
But also, the jail was a historical landmark, <laughs> so he got in trouble got for in breaking trouble. the toilet. <laughs> that scene, oh, it's amazing. The rage he has. And, 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 and you know, the Hoffman's just standing there, like, yeah, so cool, cool as a cucumber, totally, <laughs> I <love> right? That. <laughs> okay, well, did you know that There Will Be Blood and the Coen Brothers' No Country for Old Men were shooting right near each other at the same time? Oh. And apparently, these two sets didn't always work well together because at one point, Paul Thomas Anderson was testing a big pyrotechnic effect on There Will Be Blood and it caused such a smoke cloud that No Country for Old Men had to halt filming for a whole day. Now, why do, is that why you think maybe these movies were released around the same time in 2007? Yeah. A lot of people get them confused. Yeah, I did for a while there too. Why? I, They're I not the same movie. No Country, uh, I get confused with the titles, but now I've got it. Now yeah, got now it we've got it down. Now we've got it down. Both well, really good movies. Did you know that in Magnolia... Yeah. The reporter who interviews Tom Cruise, who winds up, you know, like breaking him. Yes. The reporter who interviews, right. The reporter who interviews Tom Cruise, the TV show that she works for is called Profiles. I know. What? I couldn't believe that you texted me that as soon as you saw Magnolia. I'm sort of watching it on the plane and I have Wi Fi on the plane (laughs) and I'm watching Magnolia on the plane. She goes, you get the guy, his his bodyguard says, oh, this is such and such. She's from Profiles. And I went, what? I rewound it three (laughs) times and I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God, Alicia. And then I rewatched it. I was like, that is true. It's a sign. It's a sign. It is. Profiles in 2015, ladies and gentlemen. And the Red Bull has kicked in. Yes, it has. Tyler Myers (laughs) says, uh, the interview scene with Tom Cruise in Magnolia always blows me away. I'm quietly judging you. Well, we will be talking more about Magnolia in a second right now. Fast five, five number, number four. four. If, if, you, if, you, if, if you already know the answers to your questions, then why ask pigs? Ooh. I had to blank out that. But I just love how love he bursts the master. Well, because he does not like to be challenged. He gra- he does not handle grace under pressure. <laughs> no. The master, okay, this movie came out September 14th, 2012, and it was nominated for three Academy Awards, all of them acting categories, well-deserved best actor for Joaquin Phoenix, supporting actor Philip Seymour Hoppin, and supporting actress for Amy Adams. The movie cost $32 million to make, mm-hmm. and worldwide, worldwide, it made 28 so oh, it was a bomb why do you think that is it was too challenging for people to watch yes because i remember when i first saw the film at the toronto film festival i i was not ready i was not prepared for the challenge of that film mm. the pacing of the movie it is un it's an unnerving film it it's is. a disquieting one it's an uncomfortable movie it's very uncomfortable however now that i once I realized what to expect with that film, you went back in. I went back in, and I was able to embrace all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I realized with just my second viewing that the master is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And watching it for the third time, I have to say that this revisionist uh, order that we put these movies in—that the master is my personal favorite Paul Thomas Anderson wow. movie. Wow! It is also between There Will Be Blood and The Master, the two movies that got the most response when we asked people to weigh in on their favorite films. On yeah. our Facebook page. Interesting. Well, I saw The Master <laughs> three times in the cinema. The 70 millimeter. Oh, it looked so beautiful. The first time, I agree, I saw it and I was like, I don't know if I like it. <laughs> Second time, I really enjoyed it. Third time, such a treat. At the New Beverly Cinema here, it wasn't in 70 millimeters, in 35. They had a marathon of all six at the time of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. And I went by myself. <laughs> no one would come with me. And I watched 
hours of Paul Thomas Anderson one after the other after the other. It was the best day ever. Movie geek. It was so good. Yeah, film hashtag geek for movie life. geek. Well, The Master is very intelligent, very considered film about not being able to run away from your past, obviously about psychological effects of being in a cult and the kind of people that fall into that category. Yep. It's very controversial here in Hollywood, wasn't it? Because it seems to be about Scientology. Okay, let's talk about that. It was very controversial because it was so overt with its comparisons to Scientology. Mm. The cause equals Scientology. Processing equals auditing. Lancaster Dodd equals L. L. Ron Ron Hubbard. Hubbard. Now, let's just backtrack a second here. Paul Thomas Anderson made Magnolia with Tom Cruise, who, of course, is a Scientologist. So he screened the Master 4 Cruise, and this is all speculation just based on reports that were written. Nothing has ever been confirmed on what I'm about to say, but mm-hmm. Cruz was obviously not happy with what he saw. They had a bit of a falling out. Apparently it's been resolved. No one knows how well it was resolved, but obviously that was a major, major uh, uh, big deal for Tom Cruise to see a movie after he worked with this guy. Yeah. But this is a, an it's amazing film. Faith. It's about faith. It's about it's about uh, 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 just uh, being accepted more than anything. Mm. And I feel like it's a, re- a movie about a relationship between a man who has no answers and a man who thinks he has the answers, but is really just making it up as he goes along. It's really interesting to look at these two characters and you think that they are complete opposites. Or are they? Or do they get special things from each other? Is one saving the other or is one being saved by the idea of saving him? Fascinating. It's almost a love story between these two characters. It is a love story, and that brings the that brings up the question: Who is the master? Oh well, I would say Lancaster Dodd, but I have a feeling you've got another theory. Well, my theory. Uh, listen, no, no theory is wrong. No, I and like that's what your great theories. about about uh, yeah. about interpretation. I like thinking about things in a different way. But you you see the movie, and you think, okay, the master is Philip Seymour Hoffman, Lancaster died. But uh, upon further reflection on the film, especially after screening number three, I feel like the master is is Freddie Quell. I feel like it's Joaquin Phoenix mm. because by the end of the movie, even though. Dodd has become very successful. He's sitting in a very, very big room. He's done very, very well for himself with the cause. But when he lets Freddie go and sings that song to him. Oh, Slow Boat to China. Slow Boat to China. Amazing song. And when he lets Freddie go, I feel like he's more envious of Freddie's position. Because he's free. He's free to live his life on his own reckless, meandering terms. Mm. And he just goes back off. He couldn't hold the job. And he found acceptance for a little while. Poor lost soul, Freddie. Poor lost soul. Exactly. It sort of ends the movie on a haunting, haunting note. And I love the way that Joaquin Phoenix embodies the character with his hunchback. And the way he talked out of the side of his mouth. Out of his mouth. Oh, he is so good. Uh, Cian McNerney on YouTube says, I love being reminded of these movies that I should watch again, but they're not on European Netflix and I cry a little. But they are on oh, Amazon and they, they are, are on, on Amazon. So hopefully you can get them in Europe. I, I had fun rewatching everything on, um, on Amazon, Amazon yeah. through my little Kindle. And that is not a plug because I paid for that. <laughs> so did I on <laughs> iTunes. So, um, the lovely possum says Darth Harloff is the master. Matthew Crow says Amy Adams is the master. Ooh. And Tyler Myers says I find the master underrated, though out of all his PTA films, it's my least favorite of his. I still like it though. And Dan Doherty says Scott Mance is the actual master. And Way to I go, Dan. Agree. Way to go. Give it up right here. Well, high five. Okay, One of many we got. One. Soft, soft uh, high five. 
Okay, well, from our Facebook page, Nicholas Lemos says, The Master is without a doubt one of the most underrated films of the 2010s and perhaps of all time. The film is an in-depth look into human nature and the battle between what society expects of you versus the animalistic side of man. Freddie Quill represents everything Lancaster wants to be. He mm-hmm. wants to be free yep. and drift among, among the world doing what he wants. However, the movement of the cause is growing faster than he could possibly have imagined, adding to the pressure of his own life. Whereas Freddie Quill wants Lan- what Lancaster has, control over his own life mm-hmm. and to be loved by others. Yep. However, his experience in the war has damaged him so severely he is unable to do so. Both Joaquin and Philip Seymour Hoffman gave the best performances of their career in a film that is truly a master masterpiece. Well, Mark Tordai, who is a devoted profiler, profile we love very, very much. Mark is the man. Mark had a very, very profound comment that he put on our Facebook page. Yeah. Profiles with Malona Mance. Head over there and give it a like. <laughs> Mark Tordai says, I took a great interest in the master because I used to be a member of the group the film is based on wow. and didn't want it to be riddled with cliches. What an interesting perspective. Very interesting perspective. After seeing the master for the first time, I thought it was very accurate and gives PTA it gives PTA a lot of credit for this well-researched film. Joaquin Phoenix gives the performance of his c- career as Freddie Quell, a lost soul who finds purpose under Lancaster Dodd, played brilliantly by the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman. The toughest scene for me will always be when Lancaster sings the lullaby to Freddie near the end of the oh, film. Yeah. I've realized in that moment that both Freddie and Lancaster needed each other. They were both lost souls. While far from perfect, the master helped me to make sense of my past and it's something I show my wow. friends and family when they ask questions, right? And to me, there is no other film that tells the truth about charismatic groups in such a brutally honest and realistic way. Thank you, Mark. That's an amazing wow. comment. Amazing I comment. I love that. That goes into our comment hall of fame. And I love watching all the comments on YouTube while we do this live for the first time. There's a lot of talk about your sweater. A lot of people saying that you win. Marcus Townsend says, Scott wins the ugly Christmas sweater with that baby poop green sweater. Aww. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Come on. Alicia Malone got this sweater for me. Yeah, it was So a she present. gets all the credit. I love this sweater. It was a present. This and is the best I, sweater. I found this in London. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. And I was like, you have to have one too. Well, well, I love that. Your red online. sweater matches your lipstick. Red matches your hair. Red Fury red matches Fury. the microphone. That's you got right. the red thing going and it looks great on you. I try. Way to go. I try. Okay, now we're up to our quiz show where you get to test me on my knowledge and I get to test you on your knowledge. Hit so. me up. Okay. This is a pretty easy one. Okay. In Punch Drunk Love, which type of food did Barry discover is best for travel points? A, pudding. <laughs> B, soup. <laughs> C, frozen dinner. I'm going to say pudding. Yeah. Because I love pudding. pudding. We love pudding. <laughs> my question for you, Alicia. Is from the master, because we just were talking about it. What was the name of the yacht? What was the name of Lancaster Dodd's yacht that Freddie Quill stumbled upon? Yeah. Was it A, the Alicia? Yeah. Was it B, the Athenia? Yeah. Or was it C, the Allegra? The Athenia? Correct! Yay! We both got him! Hooray! <laughs> Way to go. We deserve to get uh, th- those right for our last profiles of I 2014. Know. And maybe if we start doing this... Um, live show on the reg yes on the regular we could ask our trivia questions to people watching and see who can come up with the answer great idea a lot of big chains for profiles next year okay now we get to fast five number three cheers shame on you shame on you shame on both of you 
Wow, Magnolia. Julie Moore, Magnolia. I chose that bit because I just I love her in this role. She's great in everything. She's great in everything, and she better win the Oscar this year for Still Alice. Oh, but yeah. I digress. Movie was released on December nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine, and nominated for three Academy Awards: Best Original Song for Amy Mann, Save Me; Best Original Screenplay, PTA, of course; and Supporting Actor, Tom Cruise. Yeah, this is Paul Thomas Anderson's Shortcuts. This Altman. is his Robert Altman movie. And this nailed Altman's style and structure down so well that when Robert Altman was working on his final film, 2006's A Prairie Home Companion, Mm -hmm. he was not well. So PTA was sort of his understudy shadowing him during the making of The Prairie Home Companion. Wow. So God forbid if he had died, if uh, if Altman had died, PTA would have been able to pick it up and finish the movie. That's amazing. amazing. And you definitely see that in this movie in terms of all the different characters. Rewatching this again for the millionth time, I am so floored by what an achievement it is that you're able to balance all these characters and they all have an arc. They all have a journey. They all intersect in, in a way that makes sense it's not just all thrown in together and they all have the same journey at the same time again it's kind of that rise for redemption or they start off on top and then they fall and then everything changes with the frogs okay this is a very it's an ambitious it is a sprawling epic film runs three hours and eight minutes long doesn't feel like it it. doesn't it has so much energy and to me it feels like a a classical music piece so it just feels like it builds it builds it builds it builds it builds the camera's moving the scores going the tracking shots it's amazing it's an amazing film and this is a movie that for everyone it is all about forgiveness redemption and letting go sins of the father sins of the father and did you know that the the number that for for uh tom cruise's uh uh his, you know, he's like uh, his seduce thing, and destroy, seduce and destroy. DJ one, one eight seven seven tame her. Back yeah. in nineteen ninety nine and two thousand, when the movie was playing in theaters, if you called that number, you actually heard the infomercial. Oh, really? Isn't that like crazy? when Philip Seymour Hoffman's on hold. That's and what he heard. That's, That's what amazing. you would hear. Yes, they actually that played it. Character is brilliant because it, it really I just is. feel like it has a lot to say about those types of uh, guys and, and the way it changes. When he's sitting there silent and quietly judging her, I think that's... And then he comes back out. And, and he comes he's back little, out. He's totally distracted. Yeah. Shaken up. And that's great. He goes, looking, you're yellow. I mean, you're white. And he you're flips like, the oh, table. God he's like... Yeah, he's clearly... Shaken. I love seeing and Tom Cruise sleep out. Yeah. yeah. And a wow. woman took him down. Way to go. Cow. Way to go. From profiles. <laughs> From profiles. Profiles took him down. Well, apparently Paul Thomas Anderson said he wanted to make something small and intimate, but then Magnolia just kept blowing. Going and going. Growing and growing and blossoming. So it's definitely not a small, intimate movie, but an incredibly structured one. And, incredi- and a movie that has a lot of symbolism. Listen, watching that scene with the frogs, I got the chills because watching everybody's reaction like they couldn't believe what was happening when you look at philip seymour Hoffman, who was so sweet in this movie oh, his character was yeah. such a sweet person he's looking out like totally in shock and and uh melinda dillon in the car and and john c Ryan, the car is like you know skidding yeah. out of control just watching their reactions to it and and first of all the 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 reigning of the frogs comes from the bible exodus 8 2 and the numbers 8 and 2 play very prominently throughout the film mm. like when you're watching the the, the the graphics and it says humidity 82% yeah wow but the question Alicia is what do you think 
the symbolism of that scene means. Well, profilers, if you're watching on YouTube right now, comment what you think the symbolism of the frogs in Magnolia means, and I'll read out some in a second. For me, I mean, it just feels like it has religious overtones, and it feels like um, after that, that's when everything changes. Everything changes. I feel like that was... That was. I'm not. A, I'm not religious at all. But uh, the the symbolism of that scene is that it is a wake up call from God mm. to these troubled, lost souls that everything is going to be okay. And just as the the way that the song "Save Me" is used yep. to play out the film, if really, you know, here's a movie that for the last three hours you're watching these people in the midst of these personal crises, and and for the film to end on such a positive hopeful note is a testament to what Paul Thomas Anderson was trying to do with this movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard feat to pull off, especially with the stuff at the start, all about yeah. coincidences, and then I love that shot, but it did happen. But it did in happen. The yep, uh, the fro- frogs are raining and it zooms in, and then Stanley, the kid who played Stanley, who was terrific, oh, goes, so good. but it did happen. But it did happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a toy. I love that. <laughs> uh, lots of people were saying that they should, the love song writer says we should turn the high fives into a drinking game. That would be dangerous, because oh. you would be really drunk, drunk at the end lovely possum it says that it can't wait to see what people think about that scene um oh yeah matthew crow says paul thomas anderson quote i remember reading somewhere if i had the money it would have been raining cats and dogs oh, interesting go. and it was and and that's rare for la for it to ever rain like that well, the Brian Lomax on our Facebook page says this about Magnolia, one of my all-time favorite movies. It is such an assault on the senses that every time I watch it, I'm feeling left battered and bruised. But in the same stroke, it leaves me feeling hopeful for the future of mankind. As we leave the film on Officer Jim Curring, played by John C. Riley, mm-hmm. He's the heart of this movie, by yeah, the way. He He's so good. Uh, his voiceover and that priceless glint in the eyes of Claudia that tells us everything's going to be all right. A masterpiece in every respect from the intricate screenplay, Anderson's frenetic camera work, flawless performances from one of the best ensemble casts ever, and a fantastic soundtrack by Amy Mann to boot What's Not to Love. Blaine Granado says that scene is a really cool way to get all the characters to their catharsis. And Danny B. Review says, when the frog scene happened, my first reaction was, well, you're just doing whatever you want now, aren't you, movie? (laughs) And Mark Todai is in the chat room. He says he just got his chat working and people saying congratulations on his amazing comment that he left. Another great comment from Sandy Wilbur. Magnolia is one of my favorite films of his because it really subverts all your expectations. It's a film over three hours that never gets boring. It's always moving. All the characters feel necessary. PTA puts so much humanity into each and every one of them it's unexpectedly funny unpretentious and often heartfelt and the whole resolution to this thing is just so out of control man i loved it we loved it too yes and we know that you have a lot to say about paul thomas anderson's movies Mm -hmm. which brings us to our brackets our brackets that we run on our facebook page it was between favorite characters in pta movies so it was daniel plainview versus dirk diggler then freddie quill versus tj mackey and then the winner of all of them, who who you guess out of those four? Frank T.J. Mackey. No, no. it is Daniel Plainview. 
Daniel Plainview oh, wow. from There Will Be Blood. From there Will Be Blood. Is our profiler's favourite character from Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And once again, thanks to Steve Zissou and all the profilers who run these brackets on our site. You should go and give our Facebook a like and you should also subscribe to us on YouTube and, and iTunes. While you're doing that, yes, please go to our Facebook page right now. We'll wait while you go to our Facebook page. Open up another window on your computer while you're watching Profiles Live. Go to Facebook. Go to our Facebook page, Profiles with Malone and Man. Give us a like. Join in on the fun. Be part of the conversation because Profiles is all about our love for film. And that includes our profile friends from around the world. Check us out on iTunes. And this is actually really, really important. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Even if you think you're already a subscriber, please go back and subscribe again. Or even if you are a subscriber, please rate and review us. Cannot stress to you how important it is. Those ratings and reviews are to us. Go to iTunes. Mm. Rate and review us on iTunes. We need them. Yeah, we need them. And we're trying to keep pushing the show out to as many people as we can so we love when you guys share it with everyone and we love reading all your comments and having I feel like I feel like you're all here with me in in the room here with us and we can actually talk to each other this is quite nice but let's keep things going with our fast five number two I have a love in my life it makes me stronger than anything you can imagine I would say that's that mattress man. <laughs> uh, punch truck love. That's that mattress man. That's that mattress man. This is my personal favorite out of all of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. I think because it is sweet. It's a, it's a sweet love story. It's his only love story. It has the biggest heart of any of the movies he ever made, and it is also his shortest movie coming in <laughs> yes. at a whopping ninety-five minutes. That's released right. on November first, two thousand two, and this movie won Paul Thomas Anderson Best Director at that year's Cannes Film Festival. Festival. And Adam Sandler was nominated for a Golden Globe Best Actor in a Comedy. Mm-hmm, and this was a major departure for both filmmaker and actor. Yeah, well, apparently Paul Thomas Anderson said he wanted to make an Adam Sandler comedy because he loves Adam Sandler. So he would always love turning on an Adam Sandler movie when he was feeling down. That was what he wanted to make. He ended up making something, of course, very considered, very intelligent, something very different for Adam Sandler. But I think he used all of Adam Sandler's trademarks in the best way. So he's got the rage that he explodes out. He's got the the humor. It is very darkly funny. I think he was perfectly cast. And to me, it felt like uh, Robert De Niro in um, in I got right down King of Comedy. Oh, okay. How could I forget Scorsese movie? Come you got to check this out. Okay, I went back and I realized I actually did review this movie when it came out in two thousand two. Yeah. And in my original review, which was posted on October eleventh, two thousand two, I said, "As strange as it may seem, the real revelation here is none other than Adam Sandler, who does away with the goofball image in favor of a surprisingly heartfelt and ultimately sad performance that, in some ways, are you ready for this leash? Does King in come? some ways, recalls Robert De Niro's Travis." Bickle oh, really? from Taxi Driver. But hey, right? De Niro. On the same, on way, the same page as always. Another, another, right, another high five for that shot. one. <laughs> Sandler's tender, introverted desperation has him crying out for help to anyone who will listen, which no one does, before flying into a rage that is out of oh. control and sheer frustration. I love the scene with his sisters. How annoying are those oh, sisters? Seven of them. And I mean, I don't know if the sisters were really like that in reality or if that is his perception of how they are, but so annoying. You understand why he suddenly explodes 
explodes and then kicks the uh, the doors the windows down. and he freaks that out in shatters. the bathroom. Oh yeah, I, I love that. My sister's a liar. I have to go to the bathroom. Well, this is a film that is it's quirky, it's offbeat, it's charming, it is very bizarre and very surreal, which is why. In talking about PTA's movies, we talked about Scorsese. Mm-hmm. We talked about Altman. Mm-hmm. We talked about Kubrick. I think I might be in the minority on that one, but that's no, okay. No, no, no. I, I, I see your point, so I agree. Okay, but this movie, okay, Punch Drunk Love, I felt like this was PTA channeling. Are you ready for this? Yeah. PTA channeling David Lynch. Oh, because it gets quite surreal. It starts off with a with a moment that- With a that, bang. With a bang. That- People really don't understand what the significance is. Like no. when Kyle McLachlan found the ear in the beginning of Blue Velvet. True, which it is one of my favorites. It sets things off, which is one of your favorites because you have a t-shirt to match yeah, it. Yeah, and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson says about that car crash that he wanted to to start with a big bang because it was like uh, in a concert when a band starts with their biggest hit so that you'll listen to all the rest of the songs. What do you think the significance... It makes me jump every time. It does. Even though you're expecting it, it starts off the movie. Yeah. But what do you think the significance <laughs> is of that crash what does it mean is it like his life is coming to a head is it everything's about to crash exactly everything is about to change everything's about to change and it does it does and and another another moment lena so sweet i Mm. mean emma watts emily watson is so delightful and charming Mm -hmm. and i was reading on i think it was either facebook or twitter that one of our profilers said that the lovely lena reminded him of the lovely alicia oh yeah i saw that i was like i'll (laughs) take that she's so sweet (laughs) another scene i love is the payphone in hawaii when he finally gets to talk to her how the Light comes on and yeah. that to me is like the light she saves him and the the love saves him and he finally changes and i think i relate to him not in the uh the rage part but definitely in the way that he's timid and then he learns to stand up for himself well what do you think the harmonium means to this film because the score comp- composed by john bryan now usually a filmmaker will have a a rough cut and the composer will go off and compose the music mm-hmm. for it. But John Bryan actually brought a harmonium to the set, composed part of the score while the film was rolling. That's amazing. While they were doing principal photography. Wow. And he would use the harmonium, which would actually fuel PTA's direction and, of course, fuel Adam Sandler's remarkable performance. Yeah, because at times there is so much going on. With uh, I remember the scene when he's he's on the phone to the mattress man and shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut there's, up. there's a forklift going and then there's the music and there's just so much happening. It feels stressful to watch it. And then when Lena comes in, it calms down. But I think the harmonium maybe is harmony. Well, it's harmony because, and I was going to ask you, what do you think the symbolism is with the harmonium? Because it keeps popping up. Mm. Well, what do you think, profilers? What do you think, profilers? Check me, let us know mm-hmm. on our live feed right now. I think, I think the harmonium uh, represents He's learning how to play it throughout the course of the film while he is learning how to love. Uh, I don't know. That might be a stretch. No, I like that. Yeah, I'm a bit of a sap. I like that. And Paul Thomas Anderson definitely considers everything in his films. Yes, he does. I think nothing is there just for the hell of it. Well, Mark Tordai. Again. Again. We love Mark Tordai. He made two (laughs) comments today. Says, I was a big fan of Adam Sandler growing up, especially after seeing Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. However, at the beginning of the new millennium, Adam's comedies got very repetitive. In a unique career choice, Adam 
Adams starred in Punch Drunk Love and showed audiences he could do drama as well as he could do comedy. Punch Drunk is a dark film and one with yet another great Philip Seymour Hoffman Yay. performance. Yeah, Philip Hoffman. In a PTA-directed movie. While I certainly love Adam Sandler's early comedies, Punch Drunk Love is also on my list of my favourite Adam Sandler films. This one is often overlooked, but is certainly one of PTA's best. And Brian Williams, who took a break from hosting NBC Nightly News. <laughs> Way to go, Brian! Brian. Well, he says, my pick for my favorite PTA film is Punch Drunk Love. While not a Sandler fan in the traditional sense, I was completely won over by his Barry Egan. In my opinion, it's one of the great performances of the last decade. Wow. The chemistry of the two leads is off the charts with the luminous Emily Watson doing a lot of the heavy lifting here. We have to buy her falling in love with Barry. It's true. And it's true. Yeah, totally. And for me, there was never a doubt. Lastly, it comes down to PTA, who has thrown a lot of things at the audience pudding phone sex mattress men a harmonium seven sisters four Mormons, louis guzman a trip to hawaii oh, yeah. wow he's a fan and it never feels bogged down that's true it doesn't yeah. uh it doesn't feel contrived everything feels out of everything feels of a piece this is helped brought to life with the help of john bryant's awesome score the always reliable deep dp robert Elswit, and jeremy blake's wonderful artwork that is used like mm. chapter breaks it all works so brilliantly so true it really does now over on youtube matthew crow says punch drunk has the best use of a lens flare when emily watson and adam sandler meet for the first time a flare forms a rainbow i don't know whether it was intentional but it's very fitting for them oh i love that and also just a quick one before we move on from punch drunk love did you know that it's partly based on a true story of the pudding man no. A guy in California who actually outsmarted Healthy Choice. He bought $3,140 worth of pudding and he received 1,253,000 points, which means unlimited flights forever. That is what you get for having a loophole in the fine print. <laughs> Love, <that. laughs> Love it. Well, sticking it to the man. Sticking it to the man. Well, as we mentioned, Paul Thomas Anderson has seven movies that he's made. We've chosen our favorite five, but we want to give a shout out, a tip of the tip, tip of the, of the pretend hat. hat to the other two that we haven't t- talked about yet. So in the others, the others, we're going to speak about firstly Hard Eight. Hard Eight, an underseen, criminally underseen movie. First played at the Sundance Film Festival in 1996, though it wasn't released in theaters until uh, February 28th. No one saw it. No one saw it. I mean, it didn't even make a million dollars at the box office. But it did win PTA Best New Filmmaker by the Boston Society of Film Critics, and it was nominated for five Independent Spirit Awards. Oh, wow. Well, I I only saw this for the first time when I watched the marathon of movies, Uh and it's very much an understated film, very much about these three lonely characters and a, a mentor relationship that forms. But it's a film noir as well. It does have definite uh, style of PTA with the tracking shot through the casino. It's a, it's a low-key movie. It's a low-key movie. Not as flashy as Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film, Inherent, Inherent Vice. Vice. What do we say about Inherent Vice? See it multiple times. See it a lot of times. <laughs> but, and, and we've been talking about throughout the course of the show how you have to see his movies more than once mm-hmm. and Inherent Vice is one of those movies there's a whole lot of movie there and there's a whole lot to like the first time you see it but the story and the the characters it does get a little confusing at Very times confusing. but when you watch a film that you don't like and you just go oh whatever and then you watch a movie like Inherent Vice and you're like I gotta see that again I wanna see that again yeah. and that's crucial that's what makes Inherent Vice special because ultimately this is a film that is a cross between Chinatown yes. and The Big Lebowski yeah, it's like a stoner comedy meets a film noir detective 
movie. It's bizarre. I saw it twice on the same day on the same to get day. my head around it. <laughs> but one of the best parts about Inherent Vice for me is are the scenes between Joaquin Phoenix and Josh Brolin. Oh, he steals the movie. And Josh Brolin, one of our favourite people to talk to because he is, and he admits this, he's a film geek. And we got the chance to talk with him on our show. Just for us. Just for us. Just for Profiles. Thanks, Warner Brothers, for reaching out and making that happen and supporting Profiles, a show by film lovers for film lovers. So let's roll our interview with Inherent Vice star Josh Brolin right now. We're ready. This is special. This is your show. This is our show. This is your 16th week into your show about, and this week is about, sorry, next week is about... Paul right now Thomas is about Anderson. right. Our show is Profiles. Our next spotlight is on Paul Thomas Anderson, and you just made Inherent Vice with Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> amazing. You see the connection? <laughs> so you see the connection? This is amazing. This is amazing. Let's start off with something simple. You play <laughs> Detective Bigfoot, kind of yeah. a jerk, a mm. little bit. How would you describe him? Well, you just described him. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a jerk. I think he's kind. He's pathetic. He's more pathetic than he is a jerk. So much, you know? I mean, his relationship with Doc is almost a marriage, I think. A very dysfunctional one at that. But I think, you know, I mean, he's a multifaceted guy on the lower end of the, you know, human spectrum. So you see him with his wife. He's getting yelled at. You see him with his kids. His kids are pouring him a drink. You see him with Doc, and he's having this conversation where he's totally manipulating him. And then you see him at the end, and he's the guy that loses it completely because he has the least amount of strength. So... I think he is multifaceted, but down here, <laughs> down here. Well, this is Paul Thomas Anderson's seventh movie as a director. Right. What is it about his films, especially in this one, that makes him different from other filmmakers you've worked with, and you've worked with the greats? I mean, he's just one. Of, he is one of the greats. And how? Do, what constitutes one of the greats? Is somebody who can create an ambiance that is electrical for actors but then also has some kind of you know structural discipline and he has amazing I mean he does you'd never know it when you talk to him that he has obviously very intelligent but he's done an enormous amount of like prep and all that kind of stuff and then when you get to the set he's more like you know I don't know what do you want to do what do you want to do so he's he's willing to be instinctual but he's also very prepared at the same time so I don't know you see his movies you look at you know Sydney which was what Heart 8 you look at Boogie Nights you look at uh, you know There Will Be Blood you look at Magnolia you look at all these films and you realize that this guy can go in any direction He's just really good at telling a story. Very much so. Is it yeah. hard to define a Paul Thomas Anderson film? Because it seems like they're all so different from each other. This one is different again. <laughs> no, it's completely different. And, and no, not, there's no through line to all the films, I don't think. But every film is very definably him. You know what I mean? If you get to know him at all, you realize, oh, yeah, that's There Will Be Blood. That's <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. And that's that film, and that's that film. But he's so, I think his interest is, like, he has so many hands and so many jars just via his personality that you understand how somebody like that can do that. You see some filmmakers that will make the same film over and over, and they love a genre that they do. He's, you know, he's, he's much more uh, scattered than that. But how how is he working with actors? I mean, some directors are very hands-on, give a lot of direction, as they should because they are the director, and others are more concerned with just the look and really just trust the actors to do their thing because, I mean, that's their I job. think he's both. I think you don't, you know, I think, like, 
like the Cohen brothers are very, you know, they're hands-on, but they're not so much. They're not very, you know, Tom, you know, Paul will get in there and he'll start. I mean, he he wants everybody to completely open up and feel that kind of familial buzz that you get in a creative environment. Now that sounds so pretentious, but it's that that's what he creates, and he can't help but create it because he is that. He was like born that. I could see him as a child putting blocks together, but then they start going that way and that way and that way, you know. And he he creates he creates a, a situation on the set that I think is so creatively alive that you get addicted to it you know and then you have to actually go through something when the film's over you're like oh man I gotta go home and go to sleep and watch TV that's no fun and this one your scenes with Joaquin Phoenix were my favourite oh it's good so good the back oh, and good. forth between you Joaquin's worked with Paul Thomas Anderson before yeah, great did you movie. notice they had a little shortcut or something total shortcut no 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 it's not very verbal I did not you know they could look at each other and they could just go what do you you know and then you, you just get a nod of the head or whatever and then he'd do something completely different but that's what you get I, you know I, I have that working with the Coens for three times now and, and you have a thing but I had it with him too but in a very different way we're in both in Enjoy gabbing, you know, <laughs> talking, and we were able to go into the book and talk about different facets of the book and all that. But then when you show up on set and end up doing a scene, it's very, you know, there's something like it's like an infancy. You know, you think you can know everything, and then not until you show up and do it. And he likes that. He likes that kind of uncertainty. You know, and you you feel that watching the film. There's this kind of like on edge thing always, especially with Bigfoot and Doc. I think. I no, think. That's true. Ah. Well, last question. Other than Inherent Vice, mm -hmm. what are your favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movies and why? Wow, man. They're all, they're all great. And I don't say that because it's a publicity thing. I say <laughs> that because I love his films. You know, I mean, it, There Will Be Blood to me was an unbelievable film, but I didn't love it when I first saw it. And then my third time that I saw it, it turned out to be one of my favorite films. So Boogie Nights, I think, was amazing. Heart Eight was incredible for a first film. I can't believe that was his first film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and he was young. And he was really young. And you see, if you ever watch the extras or whatever behind this, I mean, it's fun to watch him because he's so impassioned. He's so into it. So, you know, it's fun working with somebody like that. He's, like a, he's, a, he's a little kid with some maturity in there somewhere. Thank you so much. We love right. that you're a film geek just like us. Yeah. Just like us. Thanks for joining us on Profiles, John. Thanks, man. Yay! Yes! All right! One <laughs> okay. more time, one more time! Okay. Yes! Yes! All right! Wasn't that a awesome interview? He was so great. He, he loved it. He really talked to us about it. So what is Profiles? Oh, I really like this. Hang on. So you do, do you do actors? Do you, oh, I get it. I get it. And he just really enjoyed speaking to us about but, this. Remember he said, he said, what happens when you run out of people? Like, I said, we will never run out of people. Yeah, we've got cinematographers. We've got composers. And he was like, good answer. We will good go answer. on forever as long as you support us. So well, please keep doing that. Everyone in the chat seemed to enjoy that interview. Maggie Ozen says, so far, this is my favorite profiles interview next to the Francis Ford Coppola one. Yes. And Jeff94 says, Marvel Movie News must be a bit jealous. <laughs> yes, we got Thanos and sorry, Marvel Movie News. We didn't ask any questions about that. No superhero movies. We kept it. We stayed on top of the PTA. Now, before we move on to our number one, which I think you can guess what yeah, that is. Obvious. Just wanted to read out this comment from George. 
George McCann about Inherent Vice. My favourite PTA film is actually Inherent Vice. I don't want to say why because many people haven't seen the film just yet, so I'll say why I love PTA as a filmmaker. All his films tell a different story with the same style. He utilises simple filmmaking tools like a character walking into frame and make it look special. Two scenes later, he will have a sweeping tracking shot. PTA knows when to go simple and when to go big. He is an artist, pure and simple. None of his films cater to the Hollywood norms and he's not really looking to please anyone. PTA loves movies and he loves making movie new movies. He is a true artist and a real fan of cinema, so he must be a film geek. This must be a film geek, and that brings us to the moment of truth. Our number one PTA movie for profiles is... Are you going to take your skates off? I don't take my skates off. <laughs> Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights, Roller Girl, and Dirk Diggler. Boogie Nights came out October 10th, 1997. Nominated for three Academy Awards. Original screenplay for PTA. Supporting actress, Julia Moore. She better win this year for uh, uh, Still Alice. And yep. supporting actor, supporting actor for Burt Reynolds. Yeah, who fired his agent after seeing the film because he didn't like it even though he got nominated for an Oscar poor JTE and he's he dealing with technical problems but he's <laughs> running around flailing his arms <laughs> <laughs> way to go JTE the unsung hero oh yeah we oh, love we JTE love you, couldn't do any of this without no. you you are you are one the of man. us my friend the yeah. man again we talked about how this is PTA channeling Martin Scorsese it's his Goodfellas we've talked a lot about this film as uh, already cost 15 million dollars to make made 43 million worldwide this is an exact exhilarating movie about pleasure and excess and the consequences of both. Yeah, the first half is so much fun to watch as Dirk Diggler experiences all the highs of working in an industry that I'm sure many guys would be like, that seems like a good job, especially yep. when you have people like Roller Girl. So this is the film that really put PTA on the map. I mentioned the soundtrack. I love it. It's got so much energy as well with the, the tracking shots and the camera movements and all the characters. The opening shot, which we mentioned, one thing I love about that tracking shot is you get to meet the 12 different characters that you get to know later on absolutely but the last half is quite sad oh, really tragic yeah. i mean the moment with roller girl in the car that's heartbreaking it is heartbreaking a lot of heartbreaking scenes in the last part of that movie and very very intense the scene with thomas jane and mark Wahlberg oh. and alfred molina's place Everything the guy throwing crazy. the firecracker i mean that you're is, on the edge oh so on the edge uh one of the most intense single scenes <laughs> that almost was part of that almost was my right stuff mm. uh because because it's just so so intense uh, this is obviously we just said it was Paul Thomas Anderson's breakthrough movie such a big leap too from Hard Eight to Boogie Nights and huge I love, leap love that how videotape changed the porn industry yeah and videotape is where you saw Boogie Nights for yeah the first exactly time. Yep. and the internet Change porn as well. No stories anymore. No I liked stories. the cheesy acting, but anyway, now it's just the the money shot. As we mentioned, Mark Wahlberg has never been better. It's got a big heart. It does have a big heart, <laughs> and and you know, just like uh, Mark Wahlberg in this movie, Alicia Malone and Scott Mance were going to be big, bright, shining stars. Yeah, yes, that's what I'm gonna. That's gonna be my um my uh, mantra now when I feel nervous. Before it's, it's uh. I'm a beautiful, unique snowflake, you know, from Fight Club, just twisted. And now it's just going to be, I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a big, bright, shining star. star. Love how that ends. Seb Lacey says, my favorite PTA film is Boogie Nights. Such a great ensemble cast with wonderful performances from Mark Wahlberg, Julia Moore, John C. Riley, Burt Reynolds, and the rest of the cast. Special mention to Phil Seymour Hoffman. The film itself.
itself is so interesting. Who can forget the opening Steadicam scene, which is a great introduction to the world that we know rarely about. Uh, it is a wonderful. It is wonderful to see the time progression. It remains my favorite film about the seventies. Ma'am S. Mac on YouTube says Julianne Moore's character in this movie is heartbreaking. Amber Waves. Such a lost soul. And Rachel Cushing is killing it on the chat. She says it shines a light on the darker side of entertainment but treats it the same as anything else, thus showing that it always comes down to fame, greed, talent, and relationships. And Liam Logrand, big shout out to Liam because not only is he a great profile, profiler but he is my favorite Beatles fan in the world and he's watching right now we're at 6.54 a.m. tomorrow way to go let us know what those uh, lottery numbers are Liam (laughs) says Boogie Nights is PTA's interpretation of the American dream through the perspective of high school dropout who believes that his passion of being a porn star is considered a job of high class Marky Mark yes exactly that's what he was up to that point (laughs) gives the best performance of of his career as Dirk Diggler uh, providing humorous and dramatic acting when required. Just want to say that Mark Wahlberg's performance in The Gambler is actually the performance of his career. That movie is in theaters. Oh, uh, Christmas, great I film. Seen that yet. Uh, seeing his rise and downfall, being taken advantage of uh, by the porn industry is enjoyable yet depressing at the same time. His desperateness to be- obtain money throughout the second act of the film is shocking. PTA perfectly captures the dark side of the porn industry, showing the consequences, consequences of being associated with this business and how it can affect your personnel, personal identity in society. See this movie if you are a true hashtag film, film geek. geek. And that brings us to the end of our PTA profiles. So let's just recap our top five. I can see you're already getting emotional. <laughs> number five, there will be blood. blood. Number, number four, four, the master. master. Number, number three, three Magnolia. Magnolia. Number, number two, Punch, Punch Drunk, Drunk Love. Love. And number, number one, Boogie Nights. And ladies and gentlemen, 18 episodes of Profiles under our belts and we are so grateful and I just have to say Alicia <laughs> doing Profiles with you week Don't after week is just <laughs> such a pure and absolute joy oh. what am I going to do with myself for these next three weeks until we return our first show for 2015 is our spotlight on on the amazing the one and only Tim Burton let's hear a little bit Beetlejuice it's showtime so and much to talk about with that. Should we tell them? Should we tell them now? Oh, yes. Let's tell them now. And, and our our big get is we did, in fact, sit down. Alicia Malone and Scott Mance, we sat down to talk with the man himself, Tim Burton. Yes. That is going to be our first show Just in 2015. And that was one of my favorite interviews I've done all year besides Francis Ford Coppola. And Mance, I just want to say... It's been an absolute joy to talk to you about films every single week. Your knowledge makes everything uh, just so... I'm just... JT is trying to fix things. Um, It makes everything so worthwhile, and you're so smart and intelligent, and I said many things, and I'm getting my words all confused, but I love you. But I love you, too. And and (laughs) Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Alicia Malone. Thank you. Should I open it now? Yes, you should. Okay, quickly. I know the next show is like, we need to get in here. That's okay. Oh, you got me another notebook. Yes, I did. Another Wonder Woman notebook. I filled mine up with Profiles notes, so yay. Yay. Well, nothing says Wonder Woman more than Alicia Malone. (laughs) I'm telling you, this is a woman. This is an extraordinary, extraordinary voice. 
Paris, in film. She is the best with a capital (laughs) B. I feel lucky and honored and working with Alicia Malone. On Profiles every week is the highlight. Thank you. Happy New Year (laughs) from Profiles. (laughs) Woohoo! From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Christian Harloff, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.